All right, are you all in Romans 6? All right, it was almost a month ago today, to this day, that, um, that I preached part one of what I'm about to preach part two of. Of course, you, were, you all remember that, right? What, what I preached a month ago? No, it's okay, because I don't even remember what I did yesterday. Uh, but I have notes, thankfully. Praise the Lord for notes. And uh, so part one, uh, oh, about a month ago, uh, we're talking about a slave mentality. And I want to just pick up with that. We're, we're looking at Romans 6. We're going to go in and jump in and expound this. But it all began really from just a promotion for a financial seminar that we've offered and will continue probably to offer Financial Peace University. I appreciate the, the financial teachings in there. Um, you know, the, Dave Ramsey just kind of takes a couple biblical principles and really runs with them. Uh, and, and it's really addressed. It just deals with finances. Uh, and there's a principle that, in fact, something he shared that really helped me when talking about people, because people struggle financially. Um, people, the, the, great, the number one reason for divorce in America is listed in the many surveys they do. It often is that financial pressures, financial fights, financial disagreements uh, cause the greatest pressure and the greatest reasons for divorce. So fa- finance is a real issue. And the, the Bible addresses, in fact, you know the Bible of all the parables? The one topic that is repeated the most in Jesus' parables are financial parables. You know, some people say, well, we shouldn't talk about finances. Jesus talked about it. And, and there's some simple principles that most Americans have lost sight of and that all of Congress has lost sight of. And that is living within your means. Huh, how about that? There's an unusual concept. Living within your means? I saw the numbers, and it's talking to one of my sons about it. The, the, the national debt, folks, is just blown through the... It's in the trillion. Who knows what the latest number is? What is it? Yeah, I knew it was in the 30. 31 trillion or 33 trillion dollars. You and I cannot grasp that. We can't get our mind around that. And folks, there is a you, you and I should look at that and be shocked and scared to death. If you and I lived our personal lives and ordered our personal finances that way, we'd be in big trouble. So no thank you, American government, for your example. It used to be that we used to live debt-free. And, uh, but, but the whole way of life now has changed. And, um, you know, mortgages used to be a thing that weren't, were not very rare. And now, not only do we have mortgages, but in a lot of countries, in some places, they even now have mortgages that last two generations. Hey, we're going to pass this on. Hey, hey children, I want to bless you with this major strapping debt. <laughs> you know what? So... This, this, the plug for this financial seminar, um, he, he talked about the, 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 the Israelites who for many years, as you know, were in bondage and then were delivered from bondage. And he specifically talked about one of my favorite stories in Numbers. Remember the 12 spies? They went in to spy out the land and they came back. Two of them had a good report. Ten of them had a bad report. And... 
This, this person said, you know, that I used to think, man, those people that had such a lack of faith and, and you know, he used to be upset with them. And then he made this point. This is what jumped out of me. I gave the whole quote last time, four weeks ago. He said, but when you put that story in a historical perspective, it makes you stop and think for a second. You know, that group was only days out. Days out. Thank you, James. And we're talking about the Israelites who had been delivered from, from Egypt, were now in the wilderness. They were only days out of 400 plus years of bondage, of slavery. And he said, they had a slave's mentality. It's hard for a slave to see positives. Now, those two phrases jumped out at me because there's an application there, not just for our finances. And my, a lot of people, in fact, he the, the verse he brought out, Proverbs 22, 7. If you want to turn there for a minute, keep your place in Romans 6. Proverbs 22, 7 is a very important point. It says, The rich ruleth over the poor. And It has been observed that money flows from those who don't manage it well to those who do manage it well. And that's the idea of this, this verse here. The rich ruleth over the poor. If you're not wise with your finances and you squander it, your income will end up being a blessing to other people. You just mentioned the mortgage. I don't know whose idea it was to have a two-generation loan at the interest rate that they do, but somebody's really making a mint off of that. You know? So money flows from those who do not manage it well to those who do manage it well. And then here's the second point. This is the point that this guy that does the financial seminar uh, really hits well. And that most people that have criticized him, you know, anytime I embrace or like someone's teaching or I think it's consistent with Scripture, I immediately try to find everything that I can that goes against it to see what points they're bringing out. Because the bottom line, folks, is we follow Scripture, not people. And if people are rightly interpreting the Scriptures... We need to listen. But if people are not rightly interpreting the scriptures, we need to step back. And in fact, that's very dangerous. When people will, as, as Paul spoke, or Peter spoke of some of Paul's, Paul spoke of some of Peter's writings. No, Peter spoke of some of Paul's. He said some of these things are hard to uh, understand, which they that are unlearned and unstable rest the so King James Version uses W-R-E-S-T, same root word in the English for the word wrestle. And in other words, they twist it, they distort it, they fight it. There's people that twist, distort, and mangle and fight the scriptures. They rip it out of context. They that are unlearned and unstable. And you and I have to be Bereans. We have got to study the scriptures. No matter how tantalizing or how interesting or how fascinating uh, uh, an interpretation of the Bible may seem and may feel good or make you warm and fuzzy, you got to make sure that they're rightly interpreting the scriptures. So this guy runs with this verse, which so many people have forgotten, and that's this, Proverbs 22, 7, the rich ruleth over the poor, and the borrower is servant 
That's an old Hebrew word, servant. The borrower's servant to the lender, and it literally means of a slave. In fact, that same Hebrew word in Joshua and Judges is also translated, instead of servant, house of bondage. It's a slave. The borrower is servant, a slave to the lender. Boy, if, if only we could get hold of that, that we become a, a servant, a slave. And, and the point of this financial seminar plug was, you know, I realized instead of getting upset and thinking, oh, people are so tightwad and grasping, Christians don't give, and they, they don't percentage-wise. But he said he realized that they weren't greedy. They were broke. And, and so he's, his goal is to help them get out of debt, just live within their means. And, and he made this statement. He said, it's hard for a slave to see the light at the end of the tunnel that is in an oncoming train. I like that quote. You know, when you're, when you're needing to see the light at the end of the tunnel, by the way, just imagine that. You're in a dark tunnel, you're going for a while, and you're looking for, you know, when am I going to get out of this? And you see the light, it's, it's like there's this hope, right? But you don't want that to be an oncoming train, do you? You want that to be the end of the tunnel. And sometimes it feels like when you've been financially, when you've been in bondage and you're in debt and you've got debt collectors calling and you can't make ends meet, it is hard to see the light at the end of the tunnel that isn't an oncoming train. Or, here's what we're going to look at today, any sin that ensnares you can give you a slave's mentality to where you just want to give up. And, and that's why we're talking about a slave mentality. The people of Israel had a slave mentality and they could not see the positives. That's why... When they went into the promised land, those spies, and they came back, they're thinking like slaves. Slaves is like, okay, we're, you know, we're, we're living in a difficult situation. So they could not help but see the giants in the land and all the obstacles because that's how they had lived. Maybe some of you live with a slave's mentality. And that's where I direct you to, to Romans chapter 6. So let's turn there. We're going to make some application here. Romans is an awesome, awesome book. First four chapters, chapters 1, 2, 3, and 4, present the doctrine of justification. Justification by faith. My, what an important doctrine this is. Now I mentioned about being alert to false teachers. There are so many people that have different twists on this doctrine of justification, and you better be sure you're embracing the right one. Because the difference in all the possible interpretations of this text and the teaching of justification by faith, the difference is heaven and hell. It is that important. And so no, it is not just you know a matter of semantics. The words that God uses to communicate justification by faith is very important. And that's what he does in the first four chapters. Then, from chapters 5 and on, really um, 7 and on, is the results of justification by faith. But there's kind of a parenthesis in chapters 5 and 6 because Paul ends chapter 5 
or he ends that uh, chapter 4 with a statement that begs or could, there could be two possible questions that come from what he just said. So he takes chapter 6 and chapter 7, excuse me, chapter 5 and chapter 6, he takes that to answer these possible objections. Um, Chapter 6 he addresses this. Isn't this teaching going to encourage people to sin? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? That's, he's, he's anticipating that question. Then the second one in chapter 7 is, does this mean the law is useless? You know, And those are good questions. Today we're just going to look at chapter 6 and we're going to jump right into verse 15 because it's talking about this area that you and I need to understand as believers. If you have been emancipated, if you've been made free from sin and death, then you need to understand your new position in Christ. And because, folks, before we got saved, we, had, we were slaves to sin. We were. And it's hard for a slave to see the positives. So before you and I got delivered and made, were made free in Christ, we were slaves to sin and self and Satan. So we are going to look at three things today. As we address this idea, part two of a victim's mentality. Number one is verse 16, Romans 6. Excuse me, Romans 6. Yes, Romans 6, verse 16. The principle of servitude. Now Paul uses this as he challenges new believers. And he contrasts it with our old life. But he doesn't just contrast it. But he gives us some insight into our current battle as a born-again believer, a new creature in Christ. Then number verse 17 is the foundation of victory. So verse 16, the principle of servitude. Verse 17, the foundation of victory. And then verse 19 is the manner of overcoming. So look at Romans 6, 15. Let's just jump right in here. The principle of servitude. So we're talking about a, a, a servant or a slave's mentality. Verse 15, Romans 6, 15. What then? Shall we sin because we are not under the law but under grace? Now again, you've got to go back to the first four chapters. Justification by faith. And you understand, and this is his big point, that we are not saved by our works, by what we do, by our activity, but by faith in Jesus Christ. Of course, that brings the law in. Because the law is God's standards of right and wrong. You know, sins of omission, sins of commission, the things we do that we're not supposed to do, the things that we don't do that we're supposed to do. All that, our activity. He says, shall we sin because we are not under the law but under grace? And then he answers it, God forbid. No way. No, you're not. Now, here's the key. Pay attention. Know ye not. That to whom ye yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants ye are to whom you obey, whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness. We have a principle. He's sharing this. Don't you know, he's talking to believers here, 
that to whom you yield yourself servants to obey is servants you are? He's saying, listen, we have a choice on who our master is going to be. And if you're, if you're saved, if you're washed in the blood, you have, been, you have liberty in Christ, you have a new master. By the way, don't forget, Jesus said no man can serve two masters. He will either serve, you know, love the one and despise the other or despise the one and love the other. So is sin our master? Well, are you saved? If you're not saved, born again, washed in the blood, then sin is your master. Somebody made this statement. Talk about slavery. Sin will take you farther than you want to go. It will keep you longer than you want to stay. And it will cost you more than you want to pay. Isn't that true? Nobody nobody likes sin. I've never heard someone say, you know, my life was empty until I found drugs. Or I found alcohol. Or I found immorality. And I want to tell you, uh, my last five years of living in this has just been wonderful. No. Paul said this in Galatians 5.13, For brethren, ye have been called unto liberty. Only use not your liberty for an occasion to the flesh, but by love serve one another. Paul's kind of answering what he answers here in Romans chapter 6 and verse 15. Again, shall we sin because we are not under the law? So here's, here's the example that... Um, that Paul's talking about. To whom ye yield yourselves, servants to obey, his servants you are to whom you obey. Let's, let's look at the setting of, when we think of slavery uh, in America, we are very conscious of our, sadly, our recent history. And, you know, the whole idea of slavery in America was horrible. And by the way, that carried over from England. You've got to understand the context of how... America started. Uh, you're going to trash some of our founding fathers uh, when you don't understand the context of slavery. Um, you're going to you're going to misjudge uh, and and lose your appreciation for some of American history. But don't you imagine this? You have two fields. We're talking about slavery, uh, cotton was often a horrible way in which one man would put in bondage another man. So imagine you have two fields. The one field, Satan is the master. And then there's a big road in between. And on the other side, the other field, Jesus Christ is the master. Now, by the way, uh, there is no such thing as as no servitude whatsoever. You are a servant to someone or something. And the Bible tells us we are... When we got saved, we, we no longer became servants to sin and servants to Satan. We were taken out of that field and placed into the field of Jesus Christ. He's our new master. And it's a blessed servitude. It really is. Christ has made us free as we live and serve him. But here's the problem. For so many years, we lived in that other field. And our we were... We were slaves to Satan, sin, and self. 
And though, when you got born again, you were taken out of that field and placed in the field of Jesus Christ, you still hear the Master shouting his taunts, Satan. You still hear him. He's no longer your Master. You don't have to obey him. But man, it's a familiar Master, isn't it? You hear his taunts. You hear his temptations, his lures. And how tempting it is to to still adopt that slave mentality. And that's exactly what Satan wants us to do. We have a new master. So, what are you in servitude to? Sin and self? Or the Lord Jesus Christ? You know, think of the nature of sin. You know, it takes you... It offers more than it can promise. What's that quote again? It, again, it, it, sin will take you further than you want to go, keep you longer than you want to stay, and it will cost you more than you want to pay. You think of the things that enslave people. How about bitterness? You know, bitterness, um, somebody once said this, to talk about that kind of servitude, those whom you and I resent control us. In fact, when I was preaching on bitterness, I think it was Joe, Co- Joe, Joe Ricciardi said, um, when you and I get bitter, we're allowing someone else to rent space free in our brain. <laughs> I like that. It's true. Another person said, bitterness is like eating rat poison and then expecting the rat to die. I like that too. Because is that not how bitterness works? You know, we, we begin to resent someone And it just takes over. That's being a slave. How about any addiction? We we any addiction that can control your life will make you a slave. And yet, what do we joke around about certain addictions? People say, Oh, I can quit anytime I want. Usually we say that sarcastically because something has control of us. You've heard the alcoholic, so I can quit any time I want. And he's saying that because he, at least if the people from the outside realize, no, you can't. So, which field are you in? Now, go back to Romans six seventeen. Paul says this, But God be thanked that ye were the servants of sin, but ye have obeyed from the heart, that form of doctrine which was delivered unto you. You were the servants of sin, but not any longer. You know, it's interesting. To, there's, there's so much stuff from the 1800s, 19th century. Uh, more than I ever realized. I traced some of our family roots. And um, that's when I got into the Civil War. And I, there are so many first-hand accounts available of what happened in America during America's Civil War. And there's so many records. I was able to trace uh, a great-grandfather and his family, and there's some Civil War stories out of that. And I actually was able to get there. Um, I have two, my great-grandfather had two brothers that entered the Civil War simply as a result of a feud that went on between him and a neighbor And I was actually able to look up the military records and see a facsimile copy of those two brothers as they signed the muster list for the Civil War. And I was able to see their handwriting. 
And it's pretty cool to me. I, I, you know, maybe you don't fascinate over this. But I'm like, wow, these were my distant relatives. And they signed this as they entered the Civil War. So when America had that horrible time in our history, slavery, the result was slavery was eradicated. The emancipation. What is an emancipation? Emancipation is the act of setting, from, setting free from slavery, servitude, and subjection or dependence. Understand this. It's what happened during the Civil War. It's what happened when you got saved. It is the act of setting free from slavery, servitude, subjection, or dependence. It is delivery from bondage or controlling influence. That's what happened. Why is that? Is that me? What do you think it is? My wife's coming up? No. Okay, sorry about that. I know that's distracting. You think it's here? Me? Oh, it's this. Okay, all right. I apologize. That can be annoying, can't it? Yeah, I know. Mike's like, I've had it with this place. <laughs> all right. But here's the interesting thing. You know what you, you read about, actually, a lot of accounts? There were people when, when, you know, anybody remember, by the way, what year the Civil War ended and emancipation was given? 1860. Five. There were a lot, especially the older slaves, that the older slaves were free legally, but the ones that had lived most of their lives in servitude, even though they were legally and they knew that they were set free, some of them for many years had to battle with that mentality. There are stories of people that, you know, long since released from their slave owner or master, when their master would come, they would tremble. Just hearing that person's voice would cause them to go into great panic and sweat. Huh, isn't that interesting? You and I have been delivered from Satan himself. And yet sometimes his taunts can still cause the same reaction as when we had no choice but slavery. Isn't that true? It's hard for a slave to see the positives. Now, take note of this. You and I can still be slaves experientially, even though we are not one legally. Keep that in mind. Because, folks, in Christ, we have been set free. But we can still be a slave experientially, though we are not one in God's standing. We can still be a slave in our feelings, even though we have been emancipated completely. Keep that in mind. We're not saying that a believer cannot do other than righteousness. That's not what Paul's saying. He says, you were the servants of sin, but you've obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine. He's not saying that that we can do no other than righteousness. Just like when we're looking at at, uh, John in our study of 1 John in our evening services, John would say, you know, those that are walking in the light, those that have the light, do not sin. 
and and he's talking about a lifestyle of sin. He's not talking about being free. The, the Bible does not teach anywhere that it is possible to achieve a state whereby it is impossible for us to sin. Understand that. Uh, the doctrine of sinless perfection is not taught in the scriptures. Now, has been taught through the years. Remember William Booth, Salvation Army? He preached you could attain sinless perfection. Poor people. I mean, he did a lot of good. I'm grateful for the, uh, for the uh, Salvation Army, but folks, that is not a, a sound doctrine that delivers its adherence. See, you and I have been delivered. When Jesus Christ died for our sins, was buried and rose again, you and I died with him, were buried with him, and rose again. We are free. Now, again, it does not mean that we cannot sin or that we can do no other than righteous anymore that people that are slaves to sin can only sin. I mean, there's a lot of sinners that haven't been freed in Christ that still do a lot of good, right? They can still do acts of righteousness, but they're not righteous in God's eyes. Oh, those poor people. Some of you remember that. Trying to be good enough to earn God's favor. It'll never happen. If you are not emancipated legally in God's standing through the blood of Jesus Christ, then you are not emancipated at all. Now, you might do many good things. In fact, that can be a stumbling block to the true gospel. When people think that it's up to them and their activity and what I do instead of what Christ did for us on the cross. Now, go back to Romans 6, verse 19. Overcoming. So we have the uh, first we had the principle of servitude, verse 16. The foundation of victory, verse 17. And now we have the manner of overcoming in verse 19. Paul says, I speak after the manner of men. In fact, look, at, look again at Romans 6. Romans 6, verse 15. The question, what shall we say? Uh, shall we sin because we're not under the law but under grace? Know ye not that to whom ye yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants ye are to whom you obey, whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness. And by the way, if getting saved meant that we can only do righteousness and never sin, or if not getting saved meant that we can only sin and never do righteousness, then we wouldn't have the next verse. You who have been delivered legally from sin. Listen to what Paul said in verse 17. But God be thanked that ye were the servants of sin, but ye have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered unto you. Being then made free from sin, ye became the servants of righteousness. I speak after the manner of men because of the infirmity of the flesh. Okay, he's not saying, okay, now that you're saved, we're done we can say goodbye to sin no more. It's no longer our master, and so it has no effect on us. He's not saying that. But again, he says, the middle of verse 19, For as ye have yielded your members, servants to uncleanness, and to iniquity unto iniquity, 
even so now yield your members servants to righteousness unto holiness. So you're in a new field. But that doesn't mean that that old enemy, that old master, has no sway on you. Or Paul wouldn't have to write this. If it were not possible for us to sin and give in to the temptation of the devil and darkness, he would have never written this. But the same way that you and I gave in to sin is the same way. Here's here's the, the point for victory. The foundation of our freedom. Verse 17. You were the servants of sin, but ye have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered unto you. Is it really possible for someone that is a slave or was a slave to sin to really experience freedom? Can someone that was a rapist Is salvation, can it really deliver them so that they are, not that they are not tempted in certain areas, but that they're no longer a rapist? Is it possible that someone that has a major anger problem and has a habit of punching holes in walls, that that person can get saved and no longer punch holes in walls? Again, it doesn't mean that there's not going to be some of those feelings that come up. But folks, victory is possible. In the same way that you and I were servants to sin, now we are servants to righteousness. What a blessing to be delivered. You know, um, I have only realized recently, it's been a life, ever since I got saved, and I've been saved for a couple thousand years, it feels like, only a couple decades, and, and it's been a process, just like your growth in the Lord has been a process. And the Lord is constantly growing me. Uh, and it's only been recently that I, I realized, you know, when I got saved, there were certain sins that I struggled with as a young person that by God's grace, I've seen some very sweet victory. You know, David, when he prayed, he said, Lord, remember not the sins of my youth. You ever pray that one? You know, remember not the sins of my youth. But I've come to realize that God, though he's given me sweet victory, it suddenly dawned on me recently by something that I have been was wrestling with and overcoming, that you know what? The things, in fact, there's a Patsy Pirate song. I don't know how many of you are Patsy Pirate fans. There's a Patsy Pirate song that goes, the things I used to do, I don't do them anymore. The things I used to say, I don't say them anymore. There's been a great change since I've been born again. I love that song. And that's true. The things I used to do, I don't do them anymore. The things I used to say, I don't say them anymore. But you know what I've come to realize? When I was younger, I used to look at older people who struggle with things that I didn't struggle back then, and I used to really, inside, I would have never said it. I was kind, a, a nice person. But I, I, I realized I resented people, especially older people, that struggle with things that I as a young person didn't struggle with. And now I'm an old person, and I'm struggling with the things that the old people struggle with that I used to resent. And I'm only realizing it now, with what, I forget what it was, but I'm, I'm dealing with something, and then all of a sudden all these different things come to mind. You know, when I was a kid, 
And if you think I was this nasty person that just had nothing but animosity for other people, these were only secret resentments, and don't say you don't have them. But I remember looking at older people that struggle with this or that or that, and I'm like, man, they are so weak. What is with them? I don't struggle with that, you know. I had my own battles as a young person. Well, now I'm an old person, and I look at those young people, and I think, oh, praise the Lord, I got victory over that. Praise the Lord, I got the things I used to do, I don't do them anymore. Yeah, now I got a whole new set of things to struggle with, you know, and how true it is. But you know what a blessing? I'll give on close with this. Uh, a while back, Charlie was doing his Bible study on the Sermon on the Mount. And uh, I administer it in my office, you know, the Zoom thing. And, um, and I'm so grateful that I'm able to, like, mute myself and hide my picture. Because he was talking about an issue that was very convicting to me. And if, I, if he had seen me on the monitor, I would have had my head down. He's talking about fasting. I, I fasted when I was a young kid. I did several fasts. And I know it, 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 Jesus talked about, you know, I'm blowing the trumpet, so I'm not going to tell you what's going on in my life with that now or, you know, any of that. But I'm telling you, when he was talking about that, those of you that were in that study, you didn't hear me say anything, did you? You didn't hear me, you didn't hear me offer any profound insights, did you? No, I had my head down. I was convicted. But you know what? Sadly, since I was uh, diagnosed several years ago with diabetes, uh, I have been reading so much on diabetes. And uh, some of the insights, some of the, the journals and the scientific studies that have been done uh, have unearthed a lot of things. You know, uh, that really diabetes is insulin resistance. And there's a new wave, a new thing that's happening. There's a, a Toronto nephrologist that has written a book called The Diabetes Code. And he brings out very clearly that, uh, the, the nature of sugars. If you have diabetes, you've got to read that, the diabetes code. And by the way, he's not a believer, so keep that in mind. But he points out this, carbohydrates are sugars. And he recommends, he's, there's a big push, and this is going on on YouTube and through books and all over the place, there's a big push for what is being called intermittent fasting. And there are literally folks, tens of thousands of people that have reversed their diabetes using fasting. And I remember, I remember thinking in my mind, I, I, I thought, okay, fasting might be possible 20, 30 days. Jesus fasted 40 days, but it's not humanly possible to do longer than that. And yet, folks, there are literally hundreds and hundreds of people that are doing way longer than that. I mentioned to you one of our relatives. I won't mention his name now because he's a humble guy. But I've mentioned a couple times recently that he has become my hero. By the way, it's not my wife's cousin. It's actually my mother-in-law, Joanne's cousin. And he was diagnosed with cancer. Why don't you pray for this man? And he said this. That's why I'm not sharing his name. But, and he wasn't doing this to tout his own horn. He was sharing it personally. Uh, and this is what he said. I attempted, I wanted to do what Jesus did and do a 40-day fast. And it was just a water fast and just a distilled water fast. And he only did 30 days. Only fasted for 30 days. What? 
I don't know what your response is. Maybe some of you have fasted for longer, but 30 day fast? He became my hero. And I realized that the human body, now you're talking, folks, multitudes of people across our country and across the world are fasting to get their diabetes under control, but they're not saved. They don't have the Spirit of God. They're doing it purely for physical reasons that are helpful reasons. But I'm telling you, the human body is able to do a whole lot more than you and I thought it could. So I close with this. This is an issue. I brought it up before, and I used to preach. The common study said for for many, many decades, in fact, it was first purported in the 1960s, it takes 21 days to overcome a habit. And I fixed on that. Any bad habit I had, I'm like, all right, three weeks is three weeks is the time. Three weeks is pretty long. When you are servant to something, amen? Three weeks. But it's possible. It's doable. And then I saw a new study. This came out, you know, within the last 10 years. They traced where that idea came uh, of 21 days And then the new studies came out and said, uh, I can't see this here, I think. Oh, it takes 66 days, actually. All right, let's just give up. No. You know know when I hear 66 days to break a habit? It is possible. Now, it's hard for a slave to see the positives because we're slaves. But it is possible. To overcome. Listen, when I think of those things I struggle with as a young man, and I marvel at God's grace to overcome, that same grace is available for the things I currently struggle with. And that grace is available for you as well. But you got to understand, it's hard for a slave to see the positives when you have a slave mentality. So whether it's debt, whether it's anger, whether it's lust whether it's bitterness, whether it's anxiety, whatever, there's so many things. Maybe you are a slave. And you uh, gossip, all of a sudden I say all the things that pop in my mind. Things that people struggle with. They can't seem to get victory over it. But I submit to you folks, in the same way that we yielded ourselves servants to sin, now we can be servants to righteousness. Not only is it possible but it has been secured for us at Calvary. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. And Lord, I pray that you would help us, all different folks from all different ages, struggling with all different things. Thank you, Lord, that there is no temptation taken us, but such as is common to man. Thank you that you will not allow us to be tempted above that we were able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape Thank you that that way to escape is your grace and the victory of Calvary. So, Lord, help us. Help us that are servants of Christ to no longer listen to our old master. Help us to overcome and realize that victory is possible, even though we may have embedded a slave's mentality. Lord, help us to realize that victory is possible for us in whatever the battle is. And Lord, we'll thank you for it. We ask your blessing in Jesus' precious name. Amen. All right, let's all stand, and we will close in song.
All right, let's open up for hymnals to him 200, I mean 383, the solid rock, hymn 383. 